Before we dive in this morning, would you join me in a word of prayer? Father God, the psalmist in Psalm 46, verse 10, said, Be still and know that I am God. And this morning, before we dive into our message, Father God, I want to recognize that, that you are God and that you are in control and that no matter what we're facing in this life, no matter what worry we have, no matter what concern we have, no matter what issues that we've dealt with this week, we can pause for a moment and we can know that you're in control. And God, I pray that in this moment of stillness and of silence, Father God, I pray that you would just begin to help us to be focused on you and what you have to teach us this morning. Let's be still for a moment and recognize that he is God. Father God, I pray as we open up your word this morning and we look to your word to discover what heaven is all about. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would guide us into all wisdom and knowledge and understanding and that we would not lean on ourselves or even our preconceived ideas of what heaven is like, but God, that we would lean on you. Guide us into truth. Keep us focused on you this morning. I pray all these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning. My name's Todd. For those of you I don't know, I'm glad that you're here with us this morning. I can tell that you guys slept in and let the rain pass, and that is a very smart thing. So you guys are the smart ones, okay? Not that the 930s not. That's not what I'm saying, but y'all are just a little bit, you know, more on it this morning. So I'm glad that you're here. Uh, for those of you who may be listening to our uh, podcast, uh, if you're listening to our podcast, welcome. We're glad that you're here this morning listening in, and uh, just want to remind you that we have that new app that Cynthia mentioned at the beginning of the message. Uh, we have that new app. Go down and download that on your smartphone, on your uh, 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 whatever iPad, whatever device you have. And uh, you can get our notes right there. And I want to encourage you through this particular series, if you miss a week, I just want to encourage you to go back and capture the week before if, you, if you're not here, uh, because these build in particular, this series builds from week to week. And uh, so I want to encourage you to do just that. Last week, my daughter, who is nine years old, asked me a question. She said, Dad, when you were my age, what did you want to be when you grew up, when you grow up? Um, which was funny because it implied in her mind, or at least to me, it implied that I'm not doing, you know, what I wanted to do when I was her age, um, which I guess is kind of true. Now, I love what I do, okay? Don't get me wrong. I love what I do, and God has gifted me for that. But there was something, just like many of us, um, there was something that I wanted to do when I was her age um, that's a lot different than what I'm doing here. Um, when I was nine years old, um, I wasn't one of those kids who wanted to be a police officer or 
or uh, a fireman. I, you know, I, I didn't want to do that. Um, what I wanted to do, and if you know me, this makes sense. Um, I wanted to be a professional golfer. All right. Any of you with me on that? Any of you wanted to be a professional golfer? Okay. So I, I wanted to be a professional golfer. My dad introduced me to the game of golf when I was three years old. He said I went right into the sand trap and started throwing sand everywhere. So anyway, so that was my dad's first introduction. And now that my son is uh, six years old, uh, I've been introduced to that uh, occurrence also. And, uh, but I wanted to be a professional golfer. I um, had all the tools and training. My dad really spared very little expense in um, putting in front of me the tools that could help me be a good golfer. He gave me the right clubs. I, I, I was taught by a guy named Wally Armstrong, who's really a very, very good golf uh, teacher. Uh, he was at our church that we went to. And so I was kind of surrounded with golf. I grew up playing in tournaments and that sort of thing. And um, I realized something, though, the older I got, I just didn't have it. I just didn't have it, you know? And so here I am at 40. I still don't have it, but I like to play anyway, right? Um, and so I realized something the older I got as I looked around me and saw all these guys that had the right swing, that had the right mental capacity, that had all the right stuff. I realized this, I am not good enough. And it's interesting listen, don't feel sorry for me. I am fine with that. I've played twice this year. It's really not a problem. So don't feel sorry for me today. But it made me um, realize something when she asked me that question this week about the human condition. We walk through life with the idea that we just aren't good enough. You know, we're not talented enough. We don't have the right skills to do our jobs. Parents, Man, this is a tough one. I'm just not good enough to be a good parent. And so I have great news for us today in here with whatever you think you're not good enough at that we all have common ground. You want to know what it is? We're all right about it. We're just not good enough. Isn't that great that you came to church, you got up, and the pastor says that we aren't good enough. I'm sure that you're incredibly encouraged this morning. Well, this fits in with what we are talking about because as we consider heaven, we're considering six different myths about heaven. And today, as we talked about last week, we talked about the fact that the myth, heaven is a real physical place. And in this series, what we're doing is we are walking through each one of these myths, which are common either understandings or maybe things that we really can't uh, prove, but they may be the case, or we, we might have an understanding that those things are completely wrong. And we're talking about these myths, and I want you to hear this this morning. We're taking the Word of God, and we're comparing the Word of God to these myths that many of us have about the subject of heaven and the afterlife. And so what we're doing in the series is we're taking those different myths and comparing them to Scripture, and we're determining in this series whether they're proven, whether Scripture absolutely says that those things are true, whether they're plausible, meaning Scripture may not necessarily state it that way, but it's plausible that heaven could be like that, or we find out that according to Scripture, the myths that we know of are busted, and so many of you uh, will understand that if you've watched Mythbusters, that that's what we're doing with myths about heaven. And so last week we took our first myth, which was heaven is a real place, and we compared it to Scripture, and we said that heaven is an actual real 
place. And so we rendered our first myth proven. So our first myth was proven that heaven is a real place. And then we went on to describe what heaven is like last week. And we ended with the idea that the best part of heaven is the fact that Jesus Christ, the one who died for our sins, is there. And that's the best part of heaven. And so if you're a Christ follower, we talked about last week, that we ought to live our lives not with heaven in mind, but with Jesus who is in heaven in mind. And so today we take a look at this idea of goodness. The fact is, is that we just don't feel like we measure up. We don't measure up in many areas. And so we're considering the myth that good people go to heaven. And so we're going to take that myth, we're going to compare it to Scripture, and we're going to determine whether it's proven, plausible, or busted this morning. Now, let me just say this about this myth. Um, this is one uh, that we really rely on different things. Uh, let, let me explain. We sometimes rely on culture to kind of prove whether these things are true or not. We rely on conventional wisdom. What, what, is, what do people generally say about these things? We also rely on logic, and we also rely on intuition. And so we've got culture, we've got conventional wisdom, we've got logic and intuition. And if you take those four different things and you compare it to our myth, good people go to heaven, it's easy to get sucked into the idea that that myth is completely true, isn't it? I mean, I, I got to be honest with you, when I say that, it makes sense, doesn't it? Intuitively, it makes sense. Good people go to heaven. Good people go to heaven. It's logical, it's neat, it's nice, and it makes sense. But the caution that I want to give you today, church, and this goes for any of you at any stage of your journey with God, whether you walked in here today and you're completely skeptical about the God thing and church and you just got dragged here because you're on vacation from Ohio and you didn't really even want to be here this morning, or if you are a longtime Christ follower, it doesn't matter where you are on your journey, I want to encourage you on this. Always use God's Word, Scripture, the Bible, to compare and make sure that the things that you hear are right or wrong. Anytime we use society and culture and conventional wisdom and even intuition and logic, we are in a very dangerous place because we're not using the inspired word of God. And you'll hear that theme throughout this whole message series as we consider heaven, something that we honestly don't know that much about as we consider it. We must take scripture and make the comparison in terms of scripture. Now, Let's go back to our myth. Good people go to heaven. I think that the myth itself kind of begs a question that I want to begin with. And so if you have your notes, if you're on your device or whatever, and you have your notes here this morning, uh, you can turn to your notes. You can take a lo uh, look and, and kind of follow along. I want to start with what I believe is kind of a driving question about this myth. Good people go to heaven. I think that it begs this question, and that is, is who is actually in heaven? Who is actually in heaven? Now, the Bible is very clear on this. And so I'm going to walk through four different categories of things that are in heaven. First of all, God and his son Jesus are clearly in heaven. 
There's no ambiguity about that from the word of God whatsoever. Jesus, when he was giving us the Lord's Prayer, which uh, many of you probably know and some of you could probably recite, he begins by saying, our Father who is in heaven. So God the Father is in heaven. We have all the gospels give us an account of the fact that Jesus, his son, died, was buried, and then rose again to be with God in heaven. And so Jesus is there. God is there. There's no ambiguity about that. So we know from scripture that God and his son Jesus are in heaven. Secondly, we know from scripture that angels are in heaven. Now, I'm going to speak a little bit about angels in two weeks from now. And so um, some of you who are interested in that particular subject, you probably want to come in a few weeks. Um, But Mark records some words of Jesus where Jesus says that angels are in heaven. Now, Jesus was having this conversation with some of the religious leaders of the day, and they were trying to trap him into some uh, kind of theological conundrums, theological tricks. And so they were asking him questions that many of us have, and I promise you we're going to get to the question that Jesus is answering uh, in, in just a few weeks. But when Jesus answers one of the questions that they have about our resurrected bodies and, and where do we go, he answered by saying this in Mark 12, 25. He says that we are like angels in heaven. Look at the second half or the last half of that. We are like angels in heaven. And he wasn't speaking about what we'll look like. He was speaking about the place that we're going to be. We're going to be like angels. We're going to be in heaven with the angels. So we've established that God is in heaven. His son Jesus is in heaven. The angels are in heaven. Take a look at this third category. I believe that heaven contains people who have died, who were incapable of making the choice to become a Christ follower. I believe those people are in heaven. I think all of us have either known of someone or maybe we've had someone in our own lives or maybe we've been directly affected by a young child who lived a very short life and died. I I want you to hear this this morning. For those of you who have been affected by this, I believe that your child or your friend's child or your relative's child, I believe that that child is in heaven from Scripture. I believe that that child is in heaven. I also believe that those who didn't have the mental capacity to be able to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior at whatever age, if they've died, I believe that they go to heaven. Why is that the case? Number one, I lean heavily into the mercy and the grace and the love of God. Because every characteristic and every attribute that I read when I read scripture about God leads me to believe that he is merciful enough that he would take those little ones that didn't have the opportunity to mentally make that choice, which we'll talk about the choice in a moment. I believe that they are in heaven. David, King David from the Old Testament, he dealt with this personally. I don't know if you know this or not, but King David had a son who who died and it's interesting because King David, when, um, when the son was alive, this is a young boy or, or a child, we don't know exactly, but when he was alive, David mourned for this boy because he was sick. He mourned for this young child. And the Bible says he tore his clothes and he covered himself with ashes. And he, he literally mourned as if he had lost a child. And it said that he, he, he fasted and he prayed and he cried out to God to save his son. And 2 Samuel records the fact that as soon as that little child died, David got up, he went and he got a bath, 
He went to the temple and he worshiped God Almighty. And then he went back to his, he went back to, to where he lived and he had a feast. And so David mourned while this child was dying, but as soon, as soon, as soon as he died, he was at complete peace. This is a man who the Bible says was a man after God's own heart, and I think he understood death and life. But it's interesting, because he was at peace, because he was so quickly at peace, as soon as his child died, his attendants ridiculed him for that. Take a look at what it says in 2 Samuel verses, uh, uh, 12, verses 21 through 23. His servant said to him, what is this thing that you have done? You fasted and you wept for the child while he was alive. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. He said, while David answered, while the child was alive, I fasted and I wept. For I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. But I want you to hear this. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? And then David says this, I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. And in saying that, David, I believe, under really the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the scripture says that children, when they're young, when they die, when they're infants or babies, and they don't get to a point where they can make the decision, I believe that what we read here is, is that David says that those children are in heaven. And so if you're in here today and you've been affected by this, I want you to know something. God has got a grace and love and mercy. And I think those little ones are in heaven. And I hope today that that gives you a great amount of hope. Hope that one day, that one day, you'll get to see them in heaven. Let's move on to the fourth category. Let's move on. Lastly, those who are in heaven are people who have decided to make a choice to become Christ followers on earth. I believe that they are in heaven. Those who have made the choice, and we're going to come back to that word choice at the end of the message, the choice to become Christ followers are on earth. The most famous verse in the Bible is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. They shall not perish, but have eternal life. And for those of you who are here today, or if you're listening via our podcast and you can hear and understand my voice, um, you fall into, potentially fall into that last category. You certainly don't fall into the first category because you're not God or Jesus. Um, you don't fall into the second category because you're not angels, although some of you would like to think you're an angel. Um, you don't fall into that category. Uh, you do, if you can understand my voice, you don't fall into the third category. So we here and who are listening fall into that last category but what it requires is it requires a choice on our part. There's nothing that we can do other than making the choice to trust Jesus to get us into heaven. Point number two, and here's where we're going to talk about the myth. Good people, being good does nothing to get us to heaven. Being good does nothing to get us to heaven. Now, I realize that for some of you, you've grown up in a religious culture or religious home that everything that you've heard is counter what I just said. But I want to look to Scripture to prove my point that the myth this morning that good people go to heaven is really busted. Our myth is busted. Good people, being good, 
doesn't allow you to go to heaven. Take a look as we kind of dig in a little bit more deeply on this point. Because heaven is a perfect place, we must be perfect to enter heaven. I don't know about you, but if I were to go to heaven right in this moment, which I really hope that I don't right now because we're in the middle of a service here, but if I were to go to heaven right now, you know, in my current state, I, I have sin. I have things that I've done that have disappointed God, and I am going to make heaven an imperfect place. We all, because of our sin, are going to make heaven an imperfect place. We talked about the fact last week that heaven is a place where there's nothing, nothing unclean. Revelation 21, 27 says, Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who do, does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So according to this verse, we render scriptural teaching false if we go to heaven and we're not perfect. So we have to be perfect. Well, we can't be perfect. Take a look at the second point. Because of our flawed human condition, we can never be perfect. Here's what I'm trying to say this morning. Good is not good enough. Good people go to heaven, it'll never be good enough. Look at what Romans, Paul says in Romans 3.10. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. None is righteous. Now, most people don't believe in this day and age that they're perfect. If we took a poll in this room... I bet 0% of you would say that there's ever been, other than Jesus, a perfect human being that's walked the face of the earth. And so most of us really don't buy into the idea that we are perfect, but I believe that some of us buy into the idea that we can be good enough to maybe get on God's good side. And that if we do just good enough, that maybe he will let us go to heaven when we die. And that all of the bad things that we've done in the past can be covered up by new good things that we do in the future. I think that some of us, based on what we've done in the past, based on our uh, religiosity uh, that we grew up with, kind of the religious culture that maybe we were taught, we believe that. Take a look at what the Bible says about this. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 19. Jesus speaks to this in a story that he tells to his followers, and he speaks about the fact that we can't be good enough to go to heaven. Take a look at the lesson that he gives us here in Matthew 19, and we're going to look at 16 through 26 to illustrate this point this morning. He says this, and behold, a man came to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Great question, right? Great question to ask. We've probably all asked that question before. What good deed must I do to have eternal life? Verse 17. And he said to him, Jesus said to the man, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, he says, keep the what? Commandments. Keep the commandments. Is Jesus saying that if we keep the commandments that we can be good enough? I don't think so. Let's move on. Verse 18. He says to him, which ones? And Jesus said, well, you shall not murder, shall not commit adultery, shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness on your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbors yourself. To which the man replied in verse 20, all of these I have kept. What do I still lack? What do I still lack? I've kept all of those, Jesus. Then what do I still lack? Jesus said, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. 
And look what he does in verse 22. The young man heard this. He went away. What does that next word say? Sorrowful. Sorrowful. For he had great possession. You see, I think that Jesus wanted to talk to this man. He spoke to this man in a way that he understood that the, the, the best good deed that this man could do because of his wealth was to just give it all away. And what did the man do? He turned around because he knew that he couldn't do it. He couldn't do what's good enough to get into heaven. And that's the principle that Jesus says. Let's keep reading. Jesus said to his disciples, verse 23, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them. And this is what I want you to hear this morning. He looked at them and he said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. You see, we can't do good enough. This story is not the story about rich people being able to enter the kingdom of God. There have been plenty of rich people, and there are plenty of rich people who are going to heaven. This is not a discussion of rich versus poor and who can enter the kingdom of God if you're rich or if you're, are you poor. The question that the man asked was, what good deed can I do to have eternal life? What's the one thing, Jesus, can I do to have eternal life? Do you know that humanity has been asking that question since the beginning of time? I mean, wouldn't it be great? Think about it for a moment. Wouldn't it be great if we left here knowing that there was just one rule, one commandment, one good thing, one, one do, one don't? If there was just one thing, that if we just did that one thing for the rest of our lives, that we would go to heaven, that would be easy, wouldn't it? Do you remember Genesis? God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and you know how many rules they had? One rule. And that didn't work out very well for them. They violated it. And so my point is this morning is that we as humans, we're flawed, we're imperfect, and even as good as we can be is not good enough. What a great encouraging message you are hearing this morning from me. I tell you what, you guys are probably going to go out and not have lunch this morning. We've always wondered this. Humanity's always wondered this. You have probably asked that question. What's the one thing that I can do? What's the one dollar amount that I could give? What's the one good deed, the one thing that I could say to the right person so that I can get on God's good side? We will never be good enough to be perfect. But God was sending his perfect son to be a substitute for our imperfection. And here's where the message turns. Take a look at point number three. Jesus is the only way that we can have the chance to enter heaven. Jesus is the only way that we'll ever have the opportunity to see the streets of gold and to see those gates made of pearls and to see all the different beautiful, colorful jewels that make up the walls of that glorious beautiful city. Jesus is the only 
way. Take a look at what 1 John 2, 1 through 6 says. And we're just going to be actually looking at the two first two verses for time's sake. John is writing to us and he says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Okay, if I'm reading this for the first time, I'm laughing at this point. Okay, John, great. That's not going to happen. I live on Hilton Head Island. There are two million visitors that come here, most of which, which come in about three months' time, and I have to drive down 278. I am going to sin, let me promise you. No offense to those of you who are from Pennsylvania or Ohio. John continues, and he says, But, but if any of you does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. There are two words that I want to describe that I think might be a little bit confusing. The first one is advocate. He says that we have an advocate in Jesus. It is exactly what you think it is. It's a legal term describing someone who will represent you on behalf of yourself. He will represent each one of us to God on behalf of us. He is our representative, but not only is he our representative and the best attorney that we could ever have, by the way, he represents us to God the Father, but it goes on to say that he is the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation, we don't use that in today's vernacular. It's a word that we may not understand, but it's a Greek word Halosmos, that literally means the way of appeasing wrath and gaining the goodwill of an offending person. You see, John doesn't say that Jesus can give us a way to propitiation. He doesn't say that he provides propitiation. He says that he is the propitiation. Jesus himself, the Son of God, was the substitute that you and I needed in terms of covering our sins with God. And so the only way for us to have eternal life is to choose to put our trust in his death on the cross and his resurrection. That's point number four this morning. Placing your trust in Jesus, his death on the cross for your sins, and believing that what he did is enough. Believing that what Jesus did on the cross is enough, and it guarantees entrance for anyone into heaven. Now, I don't know if you know this, but just recently, the current Pope, Pope Francis, said that he believes that all people have the opportunity to go to heaven. That's a lot different than what the Catholic Church has said for many, many years. But the way that I read scripture is, is that Jesus came and he died for all people. And that all we have to do is choose to trust in him. It's not because of all the good things that we've done that's going to get us to heaven. Ephesians talks about this, Paul's words to the church at Ephesus. And I'm using the message here because I love how the message paraphrased this passage. Look at Ephesians 2, 7 through 10. The verses will be on the screen. Now God has us where he wants us with all the time in the world and then in the, and in the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Get this. 
saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is what? Trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, I love this part. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we had done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he's already got ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. I want you to hear something this morning. For those of you who grew up being taught that you can do enough good to get to heaven, Ephesians, the Apostle Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, no, it'll never be enough. But I want you to hear these words this morning. Your trust in Jesus is enough. It's enough. Years ago, when a company began to make instant cake mix, they began to, to make instant cake mix where all you did was add water. And it didn't sell very well. And they did some research and they found out that people believed it was way too easy. And so they changed the formula up and they created cake mix that you had to add water and an egg. And sales went through the roof. Because we as humans have a hard time understanding that it's really that easy. That we can simply put our trust in Jesus Christ. And when we do that, we absolutely are at that point good enough to go to heaven because we have him as our advocate. This whole idea of being good enough or not being good enough for heaven is a debate that has raged for centuries and it will continue to go on in the church and in culture in general. But I hope that you've seen this morning that all you have to do is to simply put whatever faith that you have in your heart, even if it's a mustard seed of faith in him and you will have the hope of heaven when you die one day. Will you pray with me this morning? God, I thank you so much that you've got a real physical place that's waiting for us when we die one day. God, I thank you that you loved humanity enough that you would send Jesus to be that substitute for our sins. And God, I can't wait to see the streets of gold and live in that city that is just absolutely radiant with brilliance because you're there. Most of all, God, I can't wait to see your son, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, I can't wait to see you when we get there. The lamb on the throne, as Revelation talks about. But God, today, as we bust this myth that good people go to heaven, God, I pray for those who are in here today who may not have quite understood that until just right now. And Father God, I pray that your Holy Spirit right now would just work in the lives and in the hearts of those who are in here who realize that they've been hanging on to the fact that they have to be good to get to heaven. And God, I pray that you would begin to change that even right now. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in here today and you want to make the decision 
to put your trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm just going to ask you to simply look up at me if you want to make that decision today. Nobody's looking around. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to look at your eyes. I can see you. They've got the lights turned up. If you want to make that decision today, just to put your trust in him, just look right up at me for a moment. I'm going to pray a prayer just very quietly in this place. And I'm going to ask you, if you looked up at me in that moment, I'm just going to ask you to just silently pray this prayer. I'm inviting you to do that this morning, to pray this prayer along with me in your heart to God with maybe even that small bit of faith that you have to put your trust for eternal life in Him. The prayer goes like this. God, thank you for making me thank you for loving me and thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins today I recognize that I am not good enough and today I place my trust in Jesus prayed that prayer with me with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm just going to simply have you raise your hand. Just lift up your hand for just a second. I promise you I'm not going to embarrass you if you prayed that prayer this morning. Amen. Anyone else this morning? Pray that prayer just in the quietness of your heart. And Father, I pray for those who may have made that decision today. Maybe they raised their hand. Maybe they didn't. God, I pray that you would solidify their new faith in you, their new trust in you. Help them to realize that because of that decision, oh God, they get to see you one day in heaven. And they get to allow you to wrap your arms around them and love them with no more tears, no more mourning, no more pain. God, worshiping you in all your glory. God, I pray that you would help just anchor their faith in you. God, we give you all the glory and all the honor for what you did by sending Jesus to die for our sins. And we can't wait for that day where we get to experience heaven with you. In your name we pray, amen.